0: Welcome back to Canuck's Talk on Sportsnet Six Fifty. Canucks Talk brought to you by JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield Disinfection Services. (laughs) Visit JanPro.ca. Also, this hour is brought to you by my guys at Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Visit them together online at DLEAMC. We're going to be joined by Yannick Hansen shortly. Yannick han I'm going to make him Latvian for no reason. Um, Yannick Hansen is a perfect guy to have on the program today. Yannick Hansen is a perfect guy to have on the program any day. But especially today because, you know, this is a guy who was occasionally a top six player for the Canucks. This was a guy who built himself through sheer force of will into being, you know, he, he went from being sort of a stone hands winger to, to being a 20 goal scorer for this Canucks team. He scored at a middle six rate, underrated playmaker, worked hard on the wings, played a north-south game. You know who'd love Yannick Hansen? Rick Tockett. I'm really curious to hear Yannick Hansen's thoughts on the latest Andre Kuzmenko scratch. We'll ask him about that. We'll ask him about what he's seeing from this team's performance because I know from listening to all his hits that this is a player, this is a former player who's been deeply impressed, highly convinced by the form he's seen from the Vancouver Canucks so far. All right, we'll we'll kick it over to Yannick Hanson. This insider, by the way, is brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser. To serve you, that's Magnuson Auto Group. Yannick, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I want to get your thoughts on Andre Kuzmenko. He's trending toward being a healthy scratch for the third time in a month. We know he almost scored 40 goals last year, but clearly something is not resonating in his game with Rick Tockett. What are you seeing? Are you surprised to hear the news today that Kuzmenko is going to draw out of the lineup again?
1: Yeah, I am because, like again, mm. he, he's a, he's a streaky player. He scored a couple of goals, producing some. Um, you'd like to see if if that's enough to kind of get him to turn a corner. Mm. Um, in and out of a lineup for for a player like him with his skill set is is never easy because they need they need the confidence in order to be successful. They need to be able to to feel like they can make a mistake and. And not get benched. Um, And like I said, obviously coming from 40 goals to two, what does he have now? Six, almost halfway through. Not quite, but uh, it's it's a big change, obviously. And and his ice time has been cut. He's not playing with the same line mates and all these things. So, uh, again, all those things being said, he's a guy you need. Um, mm. a couple of months from now when when, when playoffs comes closer, you, you're hoping that he is the player you saw last year. Not the 40-goal score. He doesn't need to be that guy, but he needs to be dangerous. He needs to be um, an X-factor, if you will. Somebody you don't quite know what will do, but all of a sudden he he pots a couple of goals in a series, and, and it's what pushes you over the top.
0: Yannick, you were a guy, a winger, like a north-south winger, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure you'd be playing high up this lineup if you were in your prime today. Um, You know, one thing I'm curious to see, like we've had three guys all paid a similar amount, you know, in my mind, all relatively comparable in Besser, Garland, Kuzmenko. And we've sort of seen this vacillation in form over the past two seasons, right? Like last year, Kuzmenko's on top, glued to Pedersen, power play one time every game. Um, this year, that's Besser, except he's glued to Miller five on five. but the the bounces are going his way, the confidence is high. Um, and and it's almost like the market's flipped in terms of their perception of these players. H- how much of a role does opportunity play for wingers of this caliber in sort of what they're able to accomplish, what they're able to produce?
1: Even even what what happened last year, I I still think Besser is a, is a notch above the other two, mm. just from his skill set. Like Besser is not, Besser will not drive a line by himself. Right. Uh, don't get me wrong, he, he's a great player, but but Garland can drive a, lo- a line lower in the lineup. Kuzminko can drive, play, make plays. Besser needs somebody around him that makes him better. And in turns will make that line a whole lot better, like, like those shooters um, and Besser is a shooter there 's no question about that, but you need somebody to get him that puck mm. um, where the other two are are a little bit more interchangeable in, in, in my opinion um, but Besser needs he needs a disher um, the other two you can kind of Mix and match a little bit. Where where Kuzminko has his edge uh, over Garland, I, I I think it it's in his ability to actually convert the chances. Or at least last year, because uh, Garland, like we all see the numbers. Um, and I have been a huge fan of him since they traded for him. Um, I like his tenacity. I like his skating. Like any little kid who wants to be a, a hockey player should watch that guy skate because it's amazing the way he uses his edges. so all these things aside he, he they, they can drive play they can create chances they can draw penalties um but for some reason Kuzmenko has a way of of finishing these chances uh, we we can even throw in Herglander a little bit in this because he has some of that as well um you've seen them working their tail off uh getting chances, but but not quite scoring, mm. and that's what will separate a top six winger from a bottom six. Your ability to produce, because um, that is what uh, what you're looking for at, at the end of the day. Um, if you produce, you will get the spot next to Miller and 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 Petey. If you don't, you'll drop down, and then we'll see if you can get it back up when somebody else has a little bit of a uh, of a downturn in their production.
0: Yeah. I really agree with you about your commentary that Garland can drive a line by himself because I don't think there's a lot of players in this lineup that can. I mean, obviously the top two centermen, and then I think it's Garland, right? Like, I I don't know that there's anyone else I'd pick out of this lineup and and say that's a guy you can wind up and and have drive a line. Uh, How valuable do you, how much do you rate that when you're evaluating players, just like watching on your couch, like how much does that matter to you when you're thinking about who's a really good player, a really important part of this team?
1: Well, it's a complicated question because you need right. you need all, all the pieces. But you want the players that make other players around them better. Mm. Those players you need to fit in. But then, like like I said, Bezer, he's not a player who makes. And this is going to sound harsh, but but he's not necessarily a player that's going to make other players look better. Mm. No. PD will do that. Uh, JT will do that from the production, the the dishing and all these things. But then you need these players that are supporting the ones that can actually finish these chances. And then by comparison, now this line is that much better because of it. Um, So so you need these players and and preferably uh, at least one on each line who will make other players better. And then you need to find a way to to complement that, so like like the twins are, are one of the best examples of this because we always had guys coming in and myself included is like oh how, how, how do you want me to play with you guys like we, how, how how do we get like play your game and we adjust to you play yeah. your game and it didn't matter if it was me I was very fast straight lines didn't matter if it was Tyler Pyre, big body in front of the net didn't matter if it was Burr uh, Michael Samuelson. They just adjusted their game to get the most out of whoever they were playing with. And then, okay, with Yannick, now we need to use his speed. So it was long bomb finding me behind (laughs) in between these and go get the puck back Uh, with Samuelson and Burr. It was down low in front of the net, these little plays into the slot. So like they made players around them. And I know obviously they're Hall of Famers and all these things, but you can take that analogy and, and apply it to a lot of other areas and other players in smaller increments if you will Um, and that's what you're kind of looking for who makes players around them better and then again finding things that that complement whatever it is they do so if you have a very very good passer well you need some shooters if you have somebody who loves having the puck and finishing and stuff like this well now we need some forecheckers in order to get this guy the puck back Um, and and then they will complement each other in 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 that way with Garland,
0: Joshua, and Bluger. Right now, the Canucks have this third line that kind of dragged them into the fight. Was Rick Tockett's terminology over the weekend, but I think it was dead on. Um, you know, they, they've sort of been the team's most reliable five-on-five line, uh, dating back almost a month, and and now the goals are s- starting to be there uh, for them. You were on that third line with Torres and Manny. Right. That, that obviously was a fixture in 10 11 prior to Manny's injury. Um, when you get going with a bottom six line, like when, when it starts to work and starts to click, what, how, how quickly do you know and how do you maintain it? How do you sort of take that as a group and sort of maintain it as an identity over the course of a long season?
1: Yeah, and with those guys, it, it's kind of easier because they play the right way and they will come to them. Mm. The production might not be there. Like, we, we had games with Manny and Ravi, and we were looking at each other at one point and we had played, I want to say, almost 10 games and all the minutes we'd spend on the ice, no goals have been scored. Right. So it's like, is that a success or no? <laughs> at that point it was because Avi just wanted us not to get scored on. And if all the goals for and against were scored while Kes and, and Hank was on the ice, well, we liked our chances. Mm. Um, so so it, it's a matter of, of not getting frustrated. Now they're getting used to scoring a little bit and, and producing. And it's nice. You're seeing your goal toll, your points going up. You see the team winning. You're getting talked about in the media and these things. Um, but, but it can flip real quick because these guys aren't producing scoring chances four, five, six a game uh, on a consistent basis. So if it starts drying up, well, we just can't hurt our team we got to be good defensively. we got to draw penalties. we got to kill penalties. we got to finish our checks. Um, preferably when we come off the ice, we'd love to leave the face-off in the offensive zone. So JT and PD doesn't have to skate 200 feet before they can start their, their offensive shifts. Mm. So it, it's one of those little things where even when production do leave and does go away, um, you, you still need to be able to, to be contributing. I'm curious – to get your take on this Yannick because
0: I'm watching this team and I know they're you know one of the NHL's highest scoring teams overall uh in terms of five on five goals rate only the abs and the kings are scoring more goals than this team is and yet at five on five far too frequently for me anyway like I'm watching these games like the Chicago game right where they turn it in their favor in the second period but it's like a pair of deflection goals and an unscreened wrist shot off the rush and and I just think that's a tough way to live long term like over the long haul I worry that if you're too reliant on deflections and rebounds even though it's a credit to this team's ability to get inside and the discipline with which they're just going to the dirty areas like if you're too reliant on that if you're too reliant on fortunate finishing off the rush if you're not generating down low activity stuff in that mid slot I, I just worry that this team's going to be vulnerable to a, to a run about bad, bad bounces. What are you seeing from this team offensively?
1: Yeah, now those those goals you're mentioning, those are the ones you're looking to when things aren't going well. Mm. So, so just the fact that they are getting these do mean that, okay, we, we, we do know how to get these these goals. Right. It's not two years ago where, two years ago where we, we wouldn't see a screen or a, a deflection goal. <laughs> right. it, it was all end-to-end, and we just want to do rushes and power plays, um, and that's how they played. Um, this team can score, and, and they can score in bunches. Um, you, you mentioned that the grade-A scoring chances. Every team wants... To generate goals in in the teams every game, then you, then you tend to win games. It, it's easier said than done. Right. Um, you you do need to to create these chances that are uh, high danger, uh, big, big open in the slot backdoor plays. It, it, like I said, it's easier said than done. That's where these screens come in and a lot of point shot. Like we, we have uh, some phenomenal Ds right now who are creating ton of point shots and getting their pucks through. And if you get pucks through, um, you will get these opportunities, second, third, rebounds, tips, uh, screens, uh, and playoffs, that's where the goals are coming from. They're not going to come from pretty plays. It's greasy goals, so push come to shove. I-, I like the fact that they're getting these goals. Yeah, I'd like to see them have these nifty plays and and all these things working out as well. But we we do know that that once the playoff rolls around, that that's not what it's going to look like. So uh, again, with-, with some degree that uh, as long as they're they're doing the things and you're seeing them creating and and they're not getting out chanced every single night, um, that then I can live with it with
0: how this team has won to this point are there things that you can afford to do when you've spotted yourself this type of a lead over the balance of the season night smith's going to start tonight for example in nashville whether it's managing demco whether it's trying out different looks on the power play like is there a advantage that a team sort of accrues and it, just in terms of being able to not have their you know foot on the ground uh, pedal to the metal over the balance of the season, um, and what are some things that that sort of means for a team as you gear up for a
1: playoff run? Well, it means uh, like I think it's like probably like six weeks ago it started up until a couple weeks mm. ago they had about a stretch of twelve games where they win five hundred, uh, win one, lose one. That that's what you allow yourself to do with right. having these cushions, um, and that means your team is not playing a hundred percent. It means you're not clicking you're not getting all the results that you're looking for but it's okay because we have this uh this cushion now um so it gives you a little bit of a flexibility that you don't need to or we need to we need to string four or five together right now just in order to get back into the into the hunt and then we can maybe lose one then we need to do it again that's very fatiguing and it's stressful waking up every single day thinking knowing you have to win um where it's okay to, to play a uh, January is tough to get through there there's normally a ton of games getting played and you're too far away from um from the deadline to really see the playoff picture shape out um so knowing in the back of your mind like if we go 500 or win 8, eight and lose 6 then we're okay we're trending in the right direction then uh, and and then we're not mentally fatigued by the time uh, spring rolls around so so it gives you it gives you a little bit of a and not to, to relax on, but but enough that you don't get uh, get fatigued and tired out by the time when it actually comes uh, when push comes to shove.
0: One thing we've seen of late, especially over the last week, as the Canucks have killed off 10 of their last 12, 12- uh, penalty, uh, like, power play opportunities against, which, you know, doesn't seem like a lot, but an 83% stretch given where this team's been over the last two and a half years. Like, I'll, I'll take that. I'm at least willing to note it and throw a question to you about it, Yannick. One of the things we've seen as this team sort of begun to have a little stretch of success here, four on five, um, Miller, Petterson Hughes, their roles have sort of diminished, and we've seen a little bit more, well, a lot more. Pugh, Suter... Um, Noah Juleson, Dakota Joshua, doing more of that yeoman's work. How how do you view the role of skill players on, on the penalty kill? And, and what as a as as a guy who spent a lot of time in his career as a depth guy, um, what sort of pride do do those sorts of players need to take in sort of turning around uh, uh, or taking responsibility for a team's form shorthanded?
1: Yeah, I prefer to. I would prefer to skill place players not to play penalty kill. Um, and you need them to score goals. You don't need them blocking shots unnecessarily. We want them doing it on five-on-five. On five, don't get me wrong, but but let's say you're playing against Tampa and you got Steven Stamkos just waiting for one-timers. I don't want a Quinn Hughes sliding out into that three times mm-hmm. in in the first power play minute. Um, that that's not necessary. That's just risking him. We we need him playing 25 minutes offensive hockey. Um, so so it's one of those where you'd love to have. Somebody else do that, Cole, uh, Susie, Myers, uh, uh, Nikita Sidorov. These guys, and a lot of times, these defensemen that know they kill penalties, their, their gear is different than the other guys. They got shot blockers, they got extra padding around their knees, their ankles, their hands. Uh, their ribs everywhere, so they can slide out and lose. I I don't I haven't seen uh, Quinn get dressed, but I, I'm assuming he's a little bit on the lighter side on his gear, um, just like those shifty guys tend to be. Uh, less is more in, in that sense. So you're you're putting some of your key guys in an unnecessary risk um, by having them block these shots that. Can be done by somebody else. Don't get me wrong. I love it when a puck get dumped and he skates in and gets it right out right away. That there's nothing wrong with that, and you can use your skill guys on the penalty kill. But let's finish off with them. So it's at the tail end. Maybe the other team has a, a defenseman out there and four forwards, and there's 20 seconds left, and you can kind of take advantage of that a little bit. Um, I, I don't like it when they start. Um, a lot of the times, the the, the other team's best players are out there they get to pick where they want the face off we don't have a right-handed center so we're always starting on the off side which means face off loss d to d and then a point shot right away um again it's just it's one of those things where we have 12 forwards and and Ds spread the ice out and and then let somebody else take some of that uh, those hard minutes that aren't going to get them when it's uh down one goal or we need a goal at the end of the night or it's power play and all these things, like 30 minutes is too much. And if you're playing power play, penalty kill, five on five, overtime and all these things, your minutes are going to run up real fast. Um, that's where it's nice to have a, a, a nice balance. So the guys that are, are playing power play, yeah, they can kill penalty. But like I say, at the tail end, the guys that don't kill uh, p- play power play, let, let them kill penalty, teach them, let them know how to do that. That way you get guys who who take pride in it uh, who who take it as their own and it was like we look at the at the stat sheet and it's like hey we did something at a, as a group here. Where sometimes when you get the guys that are a little bit more worried about scoring and producing, well, if we get scored on 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 the PK, well, it's not a big deal. We still won the game. But but it sucks for the guys where hey, I'm a, I'm a penalty killer. I want our I want our percentages in in the high high 80s, preferably touching 90s. Then then a goal it doesn't ma- matter when it happens. You don't want it. Mm. Y- Yannick.
0: 32 games in, is there something that stands out to you that surprised you about this team?
1: Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Uh, I don't. I don't know. What you call the core that that they had this much extra in them. We 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 mm. all knew how well they played last year and how good they were. Um, they they weren't getting a lot of run support in the past. Um, they were still producing, but they're they're producing even more now. And now they're getting the run support. But the the, the fact that you have Four different makers almost every single night uh, you have four guys who are in a running for a major individual trophy it's it 's surprising to say the least like i I knew they were some of them were were younger, youngish, um, and Demko has been hurt. But like uh, JT Miller taking another step, um, I, I think we were happy with with a little bit of a regression from when he signed that deal, and then we would still be happy with it. But but like him coming in and, and not only producing more, but but also. Almost picking up the whole slack that Bull left behind, that that checking center as well. He, he's seeing a lot of tough matchups um, and excelling in this way. Like I think it's uh, it's a credit to these guys and uh, yeah, the determination they decided to show up with this year and and almost will this team in, into a, a situation I don't think a lot of us had uh, dared dreaming about when when the season started.
0: Yeah, I certainly didn't. <laughs> the uh the quinn hughes one like if if my answer to that question would be hughes and, and not to take anything away from miller uh, petterson demko either but i i just think quinn hughes has hit a, a totally different level this year in in a way that those guys you know I, I i've seen jt miller be the one of the best players on the power play before and and play good two-way hockey like i've seen petterson uh, blow me away I've seen Demko dominate for months on end um, the Hughes thing uh, like I've seen him be one of the best defensemen in in hockey I'm shocked by the fact that right now he he seems to be more often than not uh one of the best players on the planet period uh throughout the first 32 games this season what what, what have you seen in terms of Hughes leveling up
1: yeah the, the production has never have never been missing um right. it's the complete game mm. um it's the defending as well that comes to mind, but but uh, again, he's been almost on an island since tan have left um, yeah. in terms of having a partner. Um, th- that being said, obviously when, when he played with Chris, he was what nineteen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. 1920. <laughs> so it's a long time ago. Uh, but, but, but again, like the way he, he's playing now and the way they're gelling, that, that obviously has helped push his game to a whole nother level. Um, where where he's getting he's getting run support as well um and again you're you're getting a guy now who doesn't have to defend as much as he's had to in the past uh, and obviously his strength is having the puck skating the puck moving the puck um i i don't think there's anybody in the league i, I when when both him and McCarr plays at, at their top level, I think I still think McCarr is a better better defenseman. Um, but on the blue line, shiftiness, creating uh, that Quinn Hughes is is above McCarr. The way he loses defensemen, shakes them, uh, and moves across. There's nobody who can touch him in that area. Um, so so again, that that's where you, now you're pushing him. Into this situation a lot more, and you're seeing how much success he's having from creating creating offense from the blue line, and then making sure that nobody really knows what goes on when he's on the ice and, and that line is in the offensive zone.
0: Just one more for me, Yannick. Back back to the Hughes thing, because you sort of touched on something there that you know the the fact that he's spending less time defending this season that that I think is interesting. You know, last year with Ethan Bear you know it it worked to a, to a dizzying level uh, for Quinn for that pair even though the team struggled massively around them. Um, you add heronic and and all of a sudden it's like we've spent years since Tanev departed trying to figure out the perfect like big defensive defenseman for Hughes to play with. and yet now with the success that he's had with bear and and taken to another level with heronic I, I almost feel like giving him another puck mover, kind of amplifies that ability to control play from the offensive end further, like in, in a way I hadn't expected or imagined. Um, wh- what's your take on how weird chemistry can sort of make a huge difference? I, I, you know, I think about like the twins for years in this market. It was like they need a big right-handed winger, right? And and what they really needed, it turns out, was, uh, you know, a hardworking French-Canadian lefty, right? Like sometimes it's unexpected what works. H- how does that feel when it happens in hockey
1: yeah you you see it from you see it from the obviously the eye test passes but but mm. you see it on the underlying numbers um that that's where it, it shows uh how much time do you spend in your own end from a from a defensive uh standpoint and then again like Quinn Hughes doesn't need to be hammered in his end uh, and hemmed in <laughs> right. and and as soon as you can add some fleet footing defenseman and and he doesn't have to be six foot seven and uh, fighting all the battles and these things. But, but as soon as you get into a skating game, he will excel and then he will tilt the ice in the right direction. Where, where you always try to find ways to play against these defensemen is um, get them standing still. Get, get them pinned, get them pinning you. Anything where there's no movement, where, where you're battling, you're pushing, you're shoving, and you have a chance to to win these battles. Where right now when you're playing against these two, it doesn't really matter which corner you dump it in. They're, still, they're both so fast and so skilled that they get back to the puck fast and then they find each other, and and it's one and done, and there's nothing worse for, for four checkers than one and done. Like, like you, you're skating the whole time, and you're always chasing the puck, chasing a hit, and they glide off on you. You bump in on the backside, which just gives them more speed to skate up the ice with. So, it, it's, it's very, very frustrating to play against a pair of defensemen that you can't catch. Especially because you look right. at Quinn Hughes, and he's like, i love to hit that guy. <laughs> like, like he, he, he looks like a teenager size-wise. So, like, it feels good hitting guys that are smaller than you. Um, and you feel like you do a little bit of damage. But you never see it. And then you started, there was a stat a little while ago, and it was um, how many times have Quinn Hughes been hit this year? And it was it was 15 times or something like that, um, 20 games into the season maybe. And it was like, it was mind-boggling because when I think of that stat, it's like that's a guy who never touches the puck. That's why he doesn't get hit. Mm. But he has the puck on his tape the whole game, or he's skating with it or dishing it. So it's not like he's not seeing the puck. He's just that shifty that, that you, you can't catch him.
0: It's amazing. Uh, you know what? I always felt that way about Duncan Keith when you guys played him, right? Where it was like all I wanted to see as a fan back in those days was to see Duncan Keith take a hit and he, he can't be caught. It is what it is.
1: Yeah, there, there's something that separates those those uh, skaters from from the rest, and there's obviously a reason that some of these guys go on to uh, to do what they do with mm. their with their careers. Um, they're a cut above.
0: Yannick. A former player dropping underlying numbers on my program. Thank you. That's the best Christmas gift I could have gotten. Happy holidays to you and your family, my friend. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, you too. Take care. That was Yannick Hansen. We'll be back on the other side. Dmitry Filipovich, Ian McIntyre coming up in the second hour of Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650.
1: Everything Canucks, before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to Canucks Talk. I'm Thomas Drance. Joined to start our second hour with Dmitry Filipovich. We're going to do some Predators Talk. We're going to do some Shooting Percentage Talk. We're going to do some Canucks Talk because that's what the name of the show is. Uh, but first, let's pay a few bills. Canucks Talk, of course, can be reached at 650-650. That's the Dunbar Lumber text line. So text in 650-650 if you want to ask Dimitri any questions. Dunbar Lumber has three stores to serve you. In Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver, visit them online at Dumbarlumber.com. And of course, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Now, during the break, Dom texted me a new read for the Kintec, uh, for Kintec basically, and I'm not sure if he's trolling me, but I'm going to read it in good faith. Can- Kintech is Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews, Sore feet? What are you waiting for? I'm not sure if that's the real read, but I figured I'd do it to keep Dom happy. It's the real read. Sore feet? Sore feet? (laughs) Not exactly sure where the emphasis should go there. Dimitri, how are you, my friend? It's good. I'm good to
2: be, it's good to be here. Thank I'm you. I'm happy to be pinchating. Oh man, I appreciate it's it. It's glorious seeing you sitting here in the host seat, doing the reads, <laughs> doing your doing your Jamie impersonation. It's yeah. good. How's it going? It's good, man. I'm happy to be here.
0: Uh, no, but how's my uh, Jamie impersonation? Oh, I think it's going great. I need a little more hair and a much
2: worse wardrobe. Yes. <laughs> more yeah. sweaters.
0: More sweaters.
2: I think the sound, though, the sound's smooth and, and, and you nailed it.
3: Do you have sore yes. feet?
2: I do not have sore feet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No because I already went to Kintec. Yeah. Right. There you go. Yeah, there we go. Dim, let's start with the Predators okay. because this team is running very hot of late. They're they're sort of more closely resembling like the fun hockey good vibes young guys performing well. And Ryan O'Reilly still being their best player team that I expected coming into this season. What's changed for the Predators since the Canucks, Canucks last saw them in early November?
2: Yeah. They started the year five and 10, I believe. And that mm-hmm. was kind of roughly around when the Canucks had played them during that losing streak to start the year. They've gone 13 and three since. It You're right. It looks, resembles much more of what we expected. I think UC Soros turning it on yes. and regaining his Vesna form and being nearly unbeatable the past month certainly helps. Um, but they've they've totally revamped their offense. You can see the effect that Andrew Brunet's had on them. And you mentioned Ryan O'Reilly. I, I was thinking about this because I did my show today on Philip Forsberg, and I'm mm-hmm. sure we're gonna talk about it a little bit here. He might be the best center with all due respect to like 2016 Ryan Johansson that Forsberg's ever played with in yeah. his time in Nashville. And this is a 33 year old Ryan O'Reilly who looked pretty long in the tooth towards the end of last year. Um, but he looks rejuvenated and those two are meshing really well together and so um, yeah it's kind of been exactly what i think the optimists in us hope that this team would be heading into the season one thing i think happens with guys like
0: o'reilly is they become so i I like to use the krang analogy from teenage mutant ninja turtles where you've sort of got like the brain that needs the like the mechanical body to function right where the physical tools diminish but the head is still there the head to their game and One thing that O'Reilly had in St. Louis until last year where his form really began to fall off was Mm -hmm. Perron. And I felt like those guys, even if they were both older, even if their physical tools weren't what they were in their primes, were so good at connecting on an area game that it produced results that effectively hid that O'Reilly had lost a few clicks off his fastball. He didn't have that in Toronto. He didn't have that in St. Louis last year. Has he found that with Philip Forsberg? Is that what they're doing to have successively?
2: He certainly has, and I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he broke his foot last mm. year early in the season. right? And so he doesn't necessarily have much speed or leeway to, be, to begin with in <laughs> yeah. terms of giving off any speed. And so coming back from that, I imagine that probably played a part in it. They make so much sense together. It reminds me of watching like Mark Stone and Jack Eichel in Vegas, right? Right. Where he's so Ryan Riley's so good defensively and gets all these sort of loose puck recoveries and quick uh, possession changes. And then he can spring Forsberg to attack more off the rush and kind of create extra space for him to operate with offensively. And so it makes so much sense watching those two together. And yeah, he has regained his fastball. I mean, if you look at the five on five numbers, like they're dominating chances, expected goals, everything with them on the ice. And so it's given them like a real bonafide top line which is something Nashville hasn't really had for a while now and so i think that makes things a lot easier kind of that trickle down effect for the rest of the lineup
0: philip forsberg why is he the coolest player in the nhl coolest
2: player in in, in nhl like no doubt about it he's such a throwback he basically plays a 90s style game except with like all the benefits of advancements in skill development right? And better equipment and everything, right? Like, he still, like, walks into slap shots off the rush. He throws the body around. Like, he comp- combines that power and and skill, which we don't really see from a lot of superstars mm. in today's game. Like, we've certainly seen PD start, you know, incorporating his physicality more and throwing right. the body around stuff. But that's, like, a regular night-in and night-out occurrence for Philip Forsberg, and it has for years. Right. And so just seeing the way he can impose his will physically while still being one of the most skilled and, like, about talented players in the league. It's just a combination that that doesn't really exist in the NHL, and no one really talks about it because he plays in Nashville. He's never had 100 points, right? He's never had that monster season. He had 42 goals in the contract year two years ago. But now with O'Reilly, he's on pace for 95 points. I think, like, we need to start appreciating what he's capable of more. Uh,
0: you have me thinking now about, like, players out of time. Yeah. And, like, one guy who I always – loved as, like, an out-of-time player was Michael Ryder. Like, Michael Ryder playing for the Habs, you know, hair flowing behind him, and, you know, they call him Ryder on the French language broadcast, Channel 7 RDS, when we were growing up, right? (laughs) And, um, you know, at the end of the day, he had, like, a complete 1970s, like, late 70s skill set, plus he was just kind of a tough newfie, and it was perfect. Like, it was a fantastic... Um, you know, this guy belongs twenty years ago. Uh, can you think of others? Like, are there other out of time players in the league that we should give some shine oh, to? That's
2: a good question. You should have prepped me with. This. I know. I'm sorry. Well, I just just didn't think about it until you on the fly. No, Riders. Riders a good shout out. Yeah. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll think about it as we keep talking. Yeah. And then and we the, at about it. Let's come back to. But the But it's cool. cool. I mean, and it kind of swings both ways too, right? You could also have like guys who, like, maybe like twenty years ago would have been perfect for today's game. Oh, vice versa, yeah. Right. Like, I, I think what makes Forsberg so so cool is that. He would have thrived in that clutch and grab era, like mm. like because he could still get around and get to his spots. Like he embraces that contact and he invites it. Right. But in today's game, you can't really get away with. It. That's why he draws so many penalties as well. And then all of a sudden now, like he's he's almost unstoppable when he's really like firing on all cylinders. Mm. Like this.
0: Yeah. The so two two quick ones. My favorite guys who would be superstars today who are just like whatever. Right. Uh, Stefan Robida. Yeah. Robida would be like. Oh, uh, he's
2: got an island named after him.
0: I know. I mean, it's cool. Like that's, it's nice he to have can be more island. ambitious than that. Oh yeah. I think he could have had a continent. Right. Um, no, I, but like at the very least, I think he could have been, I think we would have immediately known that he was Brock Faber. Right. You know, like now Brock Faber comes in the league and we know he's Brock Faber. I think Robidoc could have been that as opposed to like not really getting top four minutes until he was 27. Right. right? And then the other guys, I legitimately believe this in my bones, former Vancouver Canuck Cliff Ronning. If you airdropped a 20-year-old cliff running into the NHL today, he'd be Braden Point, period. Like, yeah. he'd, just, he'd be a star player, no question about it, whereas 20 years ago, it was like he was a first-line player.
2: I mean, he was a bit before my time. What, what was running, skating like? Yeah, high-end, high shifty end? as anything. Okay.
0: Yeah, and and just, like, hardworking, good two-way. Right. And then remember, he played 20 years. Like, he had, like, 56 points and was still a first-line center in, like, his late 30s. Like, as the game changed, he was able to have longevity. No, I'm yeah. telling you, Cliff Ronning is, like, I won't be talked out of this take. I, I'm I'm so convinced that Cliff Ronning was my favorite player
2: growing up. And p- part of this is also health-related, but, you know, when right. you're talking about Michael Ryder, I was thinking of Eric Cole.
0: Right. Oh, man. Who, like,
2: in today's game would just be a freight train. Like, there would just be no stopping him. Obviously, like, injuries kind of derailed that a little bit as well and, and, and hampered him, but um, with a full bill of health in today's game, like, who could possibly stay in front of him right he would just get to the net every single time he wanted to
0: eric cole we and we never really appreciated so if you go look at like the template power forward something this is an exercise i do once every five years or so but i update my data set and it's like the template power forward in people's minds is like scores 25 goals throws 150 hits right? right so if you look at guys who play at least 60 games and produce at those rates right you get like a very very small data set it's like you've had 115 true power forward seasons dating back to the lockout, right? Right, Like you you get eight guys a year and almost no one does it year after year, right? Uh, the only guy who really has done it year after year in the past 20 years is Alex Ovechkin. Mm. Um, but there's like a couple guys who pop up here and there for the shorter primes. Um, Wayne Simmons had a run. Yep. Um, Evander Kane had a run. Uh, and then the other, the second most consistent guy though, even in this data set past his prime, was Eric Cole. Really? Like, Eric Cole was... Well, what were the cutoffs for you? Like, uh,
2: 0.5. So, I mean, Jerome in, in, terms, in terms of been... goals and hits, it was, what was it, 25 I you
0: said? I, yeah, so it's, um, you know, 0. 0.75 goals right, right, per right. game or whatever, yeah, Point point yeah. five goals per game, whatever it is, and then... I uh,
2: probably had a couple of Scott Hartnell seasons in there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and then it's, like, 0. 0.165. Right, yeah, right, I'll, right. I'll pull up the data set. My favorite part about this data set, though, and this guy's another throwback player, um, all of... Matthew, Brady, and Keith qualify wow. for this extremely rare that. data set. And Brady Kachuk, by the way, is an all-time out-of-time out of, out yes. of time player. Like, he, you could airdrop him into a game in the 70s, and it would be like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah.
1: No, <laughs> that,
2: that that that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, the best power forwards in today's game, in my opinion, obviously, like, uh, you can think of the Kachuks, especially Brady in that case. Mm-hmm. But I really think it's, like, Nathan McKinnon and Philip Forsberg. And that probably shows you how much the game has evolved and changed and what that player type looks like now, right? And, and those guys are obviously on the extreme end of, like, the – offensive production and they don't necessarily fight but they're what i think of when like put your shoulder down and drive to the net and just dominate physically while still being skilled
0: arbitrary endpoints fun with arbitrary endpoints okay i was looking at andre kuzmenko today yeah because speaking of power forwards (laughs) (laughs) because he's played 10 games since he was a healthy scratch twice and he's going to be a healthy scratch again tonight in nashville i'll let you get your take on him but Um, In in setting myself up to do that, I moved the dates without moving the players to Vancouver, right? So I'm looking at a completely arbitrary set of NHL scorers since uh, November 27th, something like that. Right. And Nathan McKinnon has 21 points in his last 11 games, and I hadn't realized that he was that. I
2: think he's on a 15-game point streak right now or something like that, but yeah. I I hadn't
0: realized that he was like two points per game over the course of a 3 three and a half week stretch though that's wild
2: well he's been going off and this gives me a bit of concern about the avalanche i know we weren't necessarily going to talk about them just while we're on this like yeah. they're riding him ranting in in the truth can sometimes you look at the ice times and they've played like 26 minutes yeah. in a regulation game like they're throwing back to the kovalchuk era of riding right. top players and that concerns me in terms of like their sustainability for the rest of the season a lot of those depth concerns mm-hmm. we had are kind of popping up again but i don't know if if you've talked about this or what you made of it but um over the weekend, they traded Thomas, Thomas Tatar, Tatar, right? My guy. And there was a report where a lot of teams around the league are very nervous that this means the Avalanche are like loading up to to land like one big addition for right. the rest of the season. Probably a second line center. Yeah, I'd imagine. And I I don't know what your what your take is on that in terms of like the viability of that, they're, whether they're that's gonna, something teams would actually be worried about because obviously
0: they're going to win the Adam Henrique sweepstakes. I mean, it's just so. Well, hard. it's Iceland home, I think. Yeah. Well, that's scary. Yeah. I mean, that would be terrifying. Yes. Especially because of what it would do for them on the power play. But I mean, that, like, I, I actually like how Johansson's fit in there. Right. For the most part. I like how Ross Colton's fit in there, but yep. I just, it still feels like they're a couple guys short.
2: Yeah. If the top guys aren't carrying them, like, that's, it's as far as they're going to go, right? And you could say that for a lot of teams. Like, yeah. you're very dependent on your best players. But for them, those guys really can't afford to take an off night.
0: They they need their Brandon Saad, right? Or their Andrew Shaw. You know, like they need their just young the secondary
2: guy. guys who can win their minutes yeah.
0: confidently every time and cost you absolutely nothing right. because your core is so expensive. It's uh, it's tough. Andre Kuzmenko mm. scratched again. I know you've been watching this Canucks team intently. I know you've been impressed by this Canucks team yes, for the most course. part. Yep. Um, but are you surprised by this? Is it unfair? Are the Canucks? Treading into dangerous waters with an offensive player who obviously is going to have their production come and go hand in hand with a high high level of confidence.
2: Yes, on all counts. I don't think it's unf- uh, no on the unfair part. I okay. mean, you just look at the production and what they've been getting out of them. I think there's a reasonable argument to be made that there's just better options for yeah. the minutes that that you in theory. But Phil DiGiuseppe. No, but especially like on the top on the top power play mm. unit, for example, like you just yeah. watch the pace he's able to make decisions at and process at right now. And I know you've spoken a lot about how quickly he gets a shot off or, oh, or lack man. thereof. All those things are concerning. And I think this is just a good reminder of why we care about things like PDO. I know that all the listeners are, 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 are very tired has, of yep. it by, at this point, but it can really mess with your perception in terms of watching the games and how a player looks when the puck is just going in for them all the time everyone winds up looking great and you're like, wow, like, of course. Yeah. He's shooting near the net. He's playing with the last It makes sense. I think he's going to keep shooting at 25% or whatever forever. And we know that's not really the case for players. And then as soon as that other shoe drops, they look horrible. Yeah. Right? And then and, and that's just, that this is why we care about that process related stuff because it can look great while it's while you're riding hot but then all of a sudden the bottom falls out and you have nothing else to lean on
0: yeah well and, and with him too it, ma- it was made more complicated because his small sample with or without use yes. with Petterson made it look like he was helping drive right but if you watched like this is where you either die a hero or live long enough to become a watch the games truther like if you watch the games it was so clear based on the fact that he's kind of a non-entity in transition you know he's he's an all-in zone guy that like That was just noise over like 400 minutes. Yeah. Pedersen, no one's helping Pedersen drive. He's driving. Like, I don't know what else to say. Um, Well, I mean, can you think of, do you think Kuzmenko, given what he accomplished last season, given how unique his skill set still is at the net front, um, do you think he'd still have value if the Canucks need to find a solution here long
2: term? I think it would be tough. Yeah. Because we just know what the market is like for wingers. Um, especially with with money attached to it. And it just there's not a lot of buyers, especially in season, unless you're taking back someone else's sort of dead weight or problem, right, for a lack of a better term. And so in that case, you're almost – you're forced into a situation where you probably just have to try to make this work for now and try to get more out of it. I wonder how much – do you know if, like, he's being impacted at all by that injury he obviously suffered a couple weeks ago because it seems like – In the face? Yeah, because it seems like a lot of – like, it's been – the production's been really barren pretty much since yeah. that point, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, the one thing that I note, like I asked Rick talking about it, because ever since he came back to the lineup, he hasn't been at the net front. Right. And so I do wonder if there's like concern, like maybe he can't take another shot in the jaw or something yes. like that, because you remove him from the net front and you put him on the half wall means that you don't have JT Miller doing cool JT Miller stuff on the half wall and you don't have Kuzmenko using his some of his best skills which are somehow his stick gets loose to uh like as a backboard for right. Patterson or Miller uh, somehow he deflects the Quinn Hughes point shot like his stuff at the net front was the stuff I that most gave me doubt about his impending regression like I thought it would happen but I at least thought he was an above average finisher he's still been an above average finisher but it's mostly because his shot volume is non-existent um so maybe because because he's not up at the net front much and I think that's where he's special and maybe that is connected to the the shot that struck him in the in the chin
2: Yeah, Uh, he just looks—he just looks different out there, and I don't want to fall victim to like buying into the percentages last year, and then and then then, then, yeah, but but it it just like you you watch—he has the puck on his stick, and he looks much more sort of tentative and unsure, Mm. and like every decision he's making is like a step too slow. Yeah, and I'm not sure if that's just who he is as a player, and maybe last year deceived us, or whether taking a puck to the face all of a sudden affects your processing. Yeah. speed and you're just like a bit more hesitant to do stuff like I, fair I'm, enough it might be a combination of both right like yeah. i'm sure they the canucks bought high on him no based on the percentage last year but i don't think necessarily that he's just like a complete zero at this point no i don't think
0: so either i i he, his skill set's too unique for him to not have some run where he is like regularly breaking open games uh, one other concern is if you go look at the nhl edge data and obviously the nhl edge data is like made so that it doesn't embarrass players mm. But, like, I think within that, if you if you really pull at the strings, like, he might be one of the slowest skaters in the NHL in terms of his actual recorded skating speed. I don't think that's, like, a physical issue with him. Right. I think it's an issue with how fast he's moving on the ice. Like, I think there's... Anyway, I wish they'd actually tell me, <laughs> you know. But like, I've been parsing through it. I'm like, this guy might be one of the slowest skaters in the league. Which,
2: which, but a lot of his work's going to be done from the dots down, 100%. right? So that must, I wouldn't necessarily think and, that that's a reason why he's not being productive.
0: Well, I do, I do wonder though, given Tockett's fondness for North South right. hockey and forechecking, if it's a reason why he's not playing as much. Especially
2: like the other options on the wing, whether it's like Garland, Lafferty, yeah, yeah, Lafferty, they're, they're all literally PDG, hair on like, yeah, guys, right? Exactly.
0: Um okay I want to ask you this question is it'll be our final uh question here because we've absolutely digressed the entire segment but I was looking through Vancouver's finishing fortune so Vancouver's shooting eleven and a half percent at five on five uh ten point four is the next closest team no right. team's been over eleven in a full season ever uh, in the in the behind the net era yep but in going through the behind the net era, like one thing that interested me was, you know, last year you had a couple teams over ten percent. The mm-hmm. year before you had a couple teams over ten percent. The year before you had one team over ten percent, and then you go far enough back, and it's like you don't have a single team over nine right. like percent. One thing that is happening is shooters are winning. The the advances of Kevin Woodley and his set have receded, and save percentage is dropping around the league. Vancouver might shoot over 11% over a full season because someone's going to right. over the next few years I think as shooters trend you know with with the Matthews drag shot and toe and you know young players with composites and access to YouTube coming into the league more skilled than ever and we drop one dimensional enforcers from fourth lines like all of the all of that stuff someone's going to do it yeah why not Vancouver
2: yeah, no, I think the goalposts in that regard are, are definitely moving. Like, mm. n- not only the shooter is getting better, but just the offensive philosophy of teams, right? We talk all the right. time. You're the trying quality. to get a lot of east-west. You're trying to get into the slot. You're working from behind the net. You're eliminating the traditional point shots. Now your point shots are Quinn Hughes getting into the middle of the ice, working downhill. Taking a And, like, shot. strategically taking a wrist shot from a dangerous area of the mm. ice, right? that That's sort of replaced... That like back foot slap shot just to <laughs> add the goalie stats essentially, yeah. right? And so it makes sense the shooting percentages are up, save percentages are down. And so, yeah, over the course of one season, it could happen. I wouldn't necessarily bet on it being the case next year. Yeah. But within this season, I think it's possible that a team just keeps setting new standards. But here's the, where, where I can't square it because
0: Vancouver's not the quality over quantity team. Right. Like, they're neither quantity or quality, frankly, right? right? There's a lot of point shots, a lot of deflections, a lot of rush, rush, wrist shot goals, you know, Hoaglander beating Decord or the Besser goal that he scored on Merazic, given those are Decord and Merazic that they're shooting mm. on. Like, this team's not working the puck down low. This is not what we saw from, like, Vegas yes. in the playoffs. This wasn't what we saw from St. Louis a few years ago where it felt like a team... You know, it, they might be making a tactic of getting inside for some of these deflections and to some of these rebounds, but to me, that's the most ephemeral, um, ephemeral type of scoring chance. Large sample, like I, I really struggle to imagine this type of offense being sustained over eighty-two.
2: Well, and I know you and I have spoken about this off the air, the sort of sustainability or predictability of like a rebound stat, for example, mm. within a season, right? Like, right. That's something the Canucks are really good at right now. Is that a legitimate skill that you can carry over night-to-night yeah. night for the full season? That remains to be seen. I think the other thing is is in the first 30 games, when you're fresher and healthier and got, mm. got the fresh legs coming into a new season, it's a lot easier to play an effort-based game in that regard on forechecking and, and, and rebound chances like that. I think once you get into the later stages of the season, it's much trickier for that to be the thing you keep relying on to win battles that way right i think that's something that i'm sure rick talk like prides himself on and wants this team to do but i think it remains to be seen whether in the back of the season that's something that's like a sustainable formula for how you generate your offense i'd add health too like vancouver's top
0: six has been enormously healthy and a, a lot of knights and other teams come in and it's been like svechnikov's out of the lineup or mcdavid's banged up right i mean that's that's part of why things regress as well right teams that are shooting badly sometimes their star players are hurt teams that are shooting on fuego sometimes they've been abnormally healthy well thank you for helping us make sense of that yeah it was a blast we appreciate having you on Dmitri filipovich dom wants me to wrap we didn't draft anything but we'll uh, we'll draft some players out of time in the next month so thanks to dimitri for joining the show you're listening to canucks talk one segment left we'll have imac on the other side you're listening to sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canucks Talk. I'm Thomas Trance. That was a hard downbeat to wait for. I was like, is one going to, is this going to drop? Is it? Is it? Is it going to drop? I was like a raver at Paradiso. Anyway. We're here. It's Canucks Talk. We've got Ian McIntyre joining us shortly. Canucks Talk brought to you by JanPro, the leader in commercial cleaning. Keep your workplace safe during this flu season by trusting JanPro's EnviroShield disinfection service. Visit janpro.ca. Also this hour, and also Ian McIntyre, so you'll hear this read again shortly, is brought to you by our good friends at Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together at DLEAMC.com. So, I'm curious to get Max Take. He's on this road trip, although he's already in Chicago. Um, I'm curious to get his thoughts on the Kuzmenko scratch. I'm curious to get his thoughts on this club's performance, which didn't really match the results. The results were tremendous over the weekend, but the club's form was not. And I always find those instances fascinating to unpack. On On the one hand, right? It's the sign of a good team. You're not at your best. You grind out three points of, of, of four possible available points. That's good. That's a sign of a good team. On the other hand, if your process tends to flag and your results are out of line with it, as the sample expands, results tend to follow process, not the other way around. So we'll get Max' take on everything around the team and Kuzmenko in particular. Right now, Ian McIntyre, this insider is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together. D-L-E-A-M-C dot com. Mac, how are you? How are you enjoying the windy city, my friend?
3: Well, I am enjoying the rainy city uh, of Richmond because I've come home from the road trip.
0: Oh, you're already already back. Yes.
3: Yes. (laughs) Good for you. I did did just the first two games. Uh, This was as planned. Yep. Having my, having my flight canceled yesterday. wasn't. As ah, that's why it. you were in Chicago. See,
0: I thought you'd just I, decamp to Chicago and skip the Nashville Lake. <laughs> <leg.
3: laughs> no, that would, that's a great idea. Right. Though. I don't think my boss, I don't think my boss would go for it. Though. Oh man. I no, see. I, saw- I was like
0: mad respect. That's such a great call. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, especially with a day off. Right. have spent another day, another day in Chicago. By the way, I'm impressed by your level of energy at this stage of the show.
0: Thank you. Having yeah, and and, and back to back one man shows um, on, on on the last week before the holiday. I'm not going to lie, Mac. It's tough. I'm faking it.
3: <laughs> so your last show was one man as well. That was yesterday. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamie Jamie's on oh, okay. short term IR game time decision okay. for
3: tomorrow. Wow. Yeah, and they can't call they can't call somebody up from the minors. Well, they they, they, they probably give, can. Give but... them a chance.
0: I think I think they I think they just you know li- like to put me in the penalty box for a couple hours and and fair enough can't blame them. Um, All right, let's let's start with the big news item of the day, Mac Kuzmenko, a healthy scratch, third time in a month. He's got three goals, nothing else on the board since returning from that that you know back to back set uh, of American Thanksgiving scratches. Uh, only thirteen shots, power play sputtering, and he's a big part of it. I mean. Does this surprise you? Is it deserved? Is it unfair? Uh,
3: Let's see. Three questions in one. Surprise, (laughs) yes and no. Is is it deserved? Yes, with an asterisk. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's fair with an asterisk. And the asterisk is uh, anybody at that position in the lineup is subject to being scratched. You know, very rare... Is the team that loses a game or doesn't perform the way it wants and decides, let's take out our first line center, and <laughs> we'll put him in the press box and we'll we'll give another guy a shot. It, right. It's it's someone from the bottom of the line, which is actually comical if you take a step back. And I've always I've always felt this: the poor guys at the bottom of the lineup who are playing most of them playing the rasses off just to try and keep an NHL job, and every time the millionaires at the top of the lineup don't win a game. The guy at the bottom of the lineup comes out, mm. which is, is kind of funny, kind of sad too. But anyways, <laughs> uh, cause has been playing at the bottom of the lineup. Yeah. He's still been on the first unit of power play, but he has been playing on the fourth line for several games. Now we've seen, uh, Neil Zaman had a little break, came out of the lineup, went back in. We've seen Phil DiGiuseppe out of the lineup and back in. Uh, now it's Fismenko's turn, for lack of a better term. Uh, he's going out of the lineup and then he'll get back in. So, you know, this is this is life. when When you're playing 8 to 12 minutes a game and clearly the coach doesn't have confidence in you to to defend leads because we we've seen how little Kuzmenko has played in the third period of, of a couple of the recent games. This is life. This is, this is your existence. This is his existence right now. It, if you don't play better then at some point you're coming out because there's nowhere lower to put you. You can't go lower than the fourth line and, and still be in a national hockey league game. So he's coming out. So all of that to me makes sense. Uh, justified as well, because Mm -hmm. he hasn't been playing well. I haven't seen any great alteration in his game since he had his earlier timeouts. Um, So yeah, it's good move. On the other hand, this is a guy who's making five and a half million. He's a 39 goal scorer from last season. He probably has to play with good players. If you Mm -hmm. hope to get that value, out of him and he hasn't been put with good players now for a while other than on the power play and so in that respect the fact he's having his second um, migration out of the lineup in what about three weeks or so yep maybe it's just over three weeks but the fact he's having a second turnout makes is a little surprising when you think of what his cost is to the team and what his potential value is to the team and what his value needs to be around the league. If in fact, you decide, okay, this isn't going to work out. He's not going to be, he's not going to be a Rick Tockett kind of player and you're going to have to move him. Uh, you, You, you're not doing anything to enhance his value and what you're going to get in trade right now. But I I'd say short term for, for tonight in Nashville, for this road trip, for this, period of the season and what we've seen from kizmenko makes a lot of sense that he's out
0: do you worry that we get to a point pretty quickly where it becomes difficult for coach and player to mesh I mean last year when there were benchings or some occasional tough love there was also a lot of praise for this player's capacity for learning um talk it seems to be far more frustrated about the topic when he addresses it including today where he explained the decision very matter-of-factly uh this season do you, do you get the sense that there, there's beginning to be some mutual frustration there
3: well I think I know there's frustration for sure uh, I, I think that too is understandable because you would hope that missing two games in late November would have been enough to inspire a change in, mm. in Kuzmenko. Um, I, I think the question is, uh, and, and, you know, from what I know, talk, has been here, not quite a calendar year, Yeah, but I think, you know, he's pretty transparent in how he has coached this team. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a whole lot of things going on behind the scenes where he's pushing buttons or, or, um, you know, working guys on a personal level to to try to make them uncomfortable. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of that. I think the Tockett that we see speaking to us and how candid he has been about things like his frustration with Andre Kuzmenko, I think that's the coach that, for the most part, the players are seeing as well. So I don't think Tockett's going to give up on Kuzmenko. I think he still believes that Kazmenko can be a really good player for him and wants him to be a good player for him. I think the danger is more on the other side. Does Kuzmenko give up on Talkett? Does Kazmenko give up on the Canucks? And if that happens, you know, what, what, is, what is his value? Because clearly trying to trade him now, and we're about to be in the roster freeze, anyways, but you know, he, he, you get pennies on the dollar for what he's capable of, because last year wasn't a fluke. I mean, the 39 goals, yes, those were, that total was inflated by likely a career high shooting percentage, but you shooting percentage aside, you need an awful lot of skill to score any goals in in the NHL. So this guy is an elite offensive talent. And right now he's, he's kind of cratered. And it's not helping the Canucks, it's not helping him, It's not helping Patrick Alvin if in fact they want to they decide that they do need to, to move on from him, or he decides that he doesn't want to play here anymore. You know the, the best thing for everyone, and, and this is what Kazmenko needs to realize as well, is for him to play better, play well, and see where that goes. And if it, if it isn't going to go in Vancouver, then at least, it puts him in a position where he's a lot he's desirable to other clubs and the Canucks might be able to move him but i think you know this is all at this point i think this is premature uh, speculation about whether he would he would want out but it's it's a possibility because this guy's not you know 22 years old yeah. with a dozen years ahead of him in the nhl he's right. come over here at mid career he he's on what we thought was a team-friendly contract that has one more year to go after this. He needs to perform. He needs, he needs to have, play well so that he can get that next contract and have the career that we thought he was going to have, even though it's not going to be as long as most players because he didn't come over until he was 26, that he could still have a good NHL career. So there's a lot at, there's a lot at stake in this. But I, I, I would just say you know, we are two months into the season. And Kazmenko's first month, honestly, wasn't that bad. Yeah, he wasn't scoring goals. He probably wasn't shooting enough. He was like point per game still... through
0: the first 11, though, right?
3: Yes, yes. He and looked like so a he... passenger,
0: though, Mac. You know what I mean? Like, other than that game in Florida, it was just like, he, he looked like a passenger. He didn't look like he was cooking the same way.
3: Yeah, I think there were more than just the Florida game where he looked good. But he he, he wasn't he wasn't a driving force so no. i'll give you that that he 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 seemed to be very much a complementary piece but i thought he was very good on the power play when the power play came more or less roaring out of the gate with all mm. its movement and rotation i thought he was he was a key part of that and even that part of his game has fallen off now but in the big picture we're talking about a rough month and and really that month started and i made the point on TV, and maybe it's not worth anything. Maybe it is. His struggle struggles started when he took a slap shot in the face. Right from JT Miller. This was going to be my next missed- question,
0: so I'm I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah.
3: So he missed he misses one game, where a lot of us thought that, you know this could be a serious injury, and I was surprised when he came back. He he didn't have the fishbowl on because he he didn't like how it felt. So he's he's. You know, exposing himself to another shot in the face, and he just didn't look himself when mm-hmm. he came back. I think he played four or six games, and then he then he had his two game hiatus uh, in the Bow Wow Hotel. So, <laughs> and, and has struggled since then. I, I think I think you know those those two games that he missed. I think that probably. You know, zapped him mentally. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was hard for him to understand, hard for him to accept, and uh, I think he has basically lacked confidence since he has has come back. Uh, I I think it was myself, having covered the game a long time, having seen. You know, we think these guys are are. Uh, like some sort of superhero or bionic or something, you know, the, the, the abuse that they take, the hits, they absorb the cuts, the high sticks, the shots, hopefully to the shin pads, but sometimes in the face. And most of the time they just carry on. But even though they may be carrying on from what we see, it's not the same for them in their head. It's not the same as far as fear and confidence and comfort Mm. And I think there's probably a little bit of that that has contributed to Kuzmenko's problems.
0: So in addition to that, Mac, and one thing I'm curious to get your thoughts on, the return to the lineup in, you know, following that Calgary game that he missed, right? So something like the 18th, 16th of November, right right in around mid-November. All of a yeah. sudden, we saw him move to the right or the left side half wall on the power play. Like he was out of the net front from that point on, which meant that Miller was at the net front from that point on, which meant that Vancouver's power play no longer sort of ran through, you know, their best passer, five on four, by a, by a mile, by the way, in Miller. Um, and there's movement, obviously, like the. the Talk. It doesn't want them to be stationary, but Miller right now is starting at the net front where he used, used to start on his downhill side Kuzmenko's no longer um, at the net front, but where he's, you know, uh, a savant in terms of tipping pucks, in terms of getting that stick open at the blue paint. Like that's why people bought to some extent that he'd keep shooting such a high percentage was that it was all backdoor stuff from Pedersen and he was always open and he was deflecting these pucks. So, and, and then the Canucks power play has like eight goals since. Like, it was 33% yeah. the day that uh, he got hit in the face, and it's, it's got eight goals in 16 games since, something like that. Um, yeah. Do you think that's a sign, maybe, um, a, a, of, a, of a lack of confidence and unwillingness to stand in that spot? Uh, do you see a connection between a tactical change and some of the intangible, you know, human being stuff that you're discussing?
3: Yeah, I I can't imagine that Kuzmenko said to them, "Hey, you know, put me somewhere else cuz yeah. I don't want to get hit by a puck." And you maybe have the game by game in front of you. I don't. I think the power play had had started to go cold by that point mm. anyways. And they were looking for they were looking for some kind of some kind of change. In right. fact, when he was out and Roenick was on the first unit. Did Roenick not stay on the first unit for a couple of games after Kuzmenko came back? It
0: wasn't after the Islanders game that he stayed on the first unit. It was after the scratches when he scored. Right. Uh, you know, he had the goal, and then he had the shot that led directly to a rebound in San right. Jose, the game they lost. And then he got, like, a small run when Kuzmenko came back from the scratches.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I think the changes on the power play have more to do have had more to do with the power plays efficiency Mm -hmm. and whether it's scoring or not. Uh, I don't think it was about Kizmenko per se, but I do think that they, they were happy to put him in a position where it would force him to shoot the puck. Right. Because one of the problems that he fell into uh, when he was playing down low, which I agree with you, I think he's better there and I think the power play is better with Miller on his downhill side, where he loops high, takes the pass from Hughes, skates downhill, and fires that wrister from 30 or 35 feet that seems to be one of the best in the NHL Mm -hmm. from from that spot. We talk about one-timers and who's the best. I don't know that there's many guys who risk the puck while coming downhill and can score from distance, like Miller can from 30 feet. But anyways, I, I think that they wanted... Manko to shoot more, which he he should have been doing when when you're on the one timer side uh, up high. Right. But I also think it. I think overall it, the power play just hasn't been as good because uh, I agree with you on Miller. I also think for whatever it is when Besser and Fizmenko were bumper and down low. I think there was more interchange. I don't know whether they read each other better or what it was. Maybe it was just coincidence, but it seemed like there was a lot more fluidity to the power play than when Miller is down low and Besser at times now seems to just get stuck in the bumper. And at times the power play you know, looks like last year's, which which ain't so bad, because last year's power play was was good as well. Yeah, and Bo Horvat's one of the best bumper players in the league. But at times, it looks like they're static again. Like it's mm. five people on bases, and no one is moving much from their base. And I think what had had made it so effective earlier, and also so exciting to think of what might what it might be possible of achieving, was all that movement and the rotations, and the player interchanges. And now we just don't see that as much when Kizmenko's at the top of the circle and Miller's down low. So we'll see how it is tonight. I, I haven't been all that impressed with the two defensemen power play. I mean, Ronit can can really fire the puck. Yeah. But, you know, I think I think it lessens... I, I think it simplifies defending the power play when they have Roenick on with Hughes, because I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of movement from Ronick Like he's, mm. you kind of know that's where he's going to be. That's why he's put out there. And uh, again, it becomes a little easier to defend, a little more predictable. Uh,
0: we only have a minute and a half here, but I do want to just ask you this one question. Like if you've got Kuzmenko in a spot on the power play that doesn't suit his skill set, and his most frequent line mate since he's returned is, you know, Neil Zaman or Phil DiGiuseppe. I'd have to look it up to be exact here. Um, like at what point is the responsibility for him not being put into a position to succeed, to succeed kind of on target? I, I, you know, I don't think it is, but I, I do think we have to ask the question if we all accept that the five on five role and the power play role hasn't been optimized.
3: Yeah. I, I think at some point, and certainly they, they should get to this before you know. There's any serious consideration mm. of giving up on them. At some point, you have to put him back right. with Pedersen and Mikheyev and and see and see how he does. Because again, you know, there's guys who play on the fourth line, and and you know you you can play them up and they adapt. And it seems like, oh, that's, that's so great for Sam Lafferty or so, so great for uh, Niels Holglander for a while that they, they get this run. Good for them. It's a lot harder, I think, to go the other way. Mm. My, much as it seems like it would be easier, like if you're used to playing, let's say, 16 minutes, 17 minutes in, in high-pressure situations with elite line mates against the other team's top players... It seems like it should be easier to go to the fourth line. It isn't for everybody. And, right. and I think Kazmenko clearly is a guy who's miscast in that role. But I also think it's almost always up to the player yeah. to make his opportunity, to earn his chance. And he's got to play better. He's got to figure out ways to be on the puck more, to be harder to play against. He's got to move his feet. When, when you, when, and you know this, Thomas, when you watch games in person from the height above the ice that we do, looks easy. You, you, yes, but you also see everything that yep. you don't see on TV. And there's just a lot of times, even on the fourth line, where Kismenko was not moving his feet no. in Chicago. He's coasting and he's turning and he's watching. And it's not that he's lazy, it's not that he, he doesn't want to do it, it's just he never has. You know he's gotten this far because of certain elite skills, but he has to learn more. He has yeah. to he has to be able to expand his game. And Brock Besser, it's an imperfect parale- uh, parallel because Brock's a different kind of player and different kind of person. But we saw how Brock Besser has adapted from what he was last year before it got here to what he is now. The Canucks need Kuzmenko to adapt yeah. as well. Mac.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, you've been listening to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. We'll be back tomorrow, hopefully, with Jamie.